BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Uh, I'm good, Kendall. What What's going on here? That's Fox 4's own Nick Vassos, and I'm explaining to him about this idea that I had about today's episode. I know he's a big music fan, so I wanted to test how deep his music knowledge goes. Uh, what would you say is like your main music? Things like um, Rush, uh, things like Boston, uh, maybe even things like America. You know, I, I, it sounds like I'm trending like back in the 70s kind of a thing, but I also like new music as well. Would you say that you're a fan of jazz at all? Um, interesting. I, I guess maybe uh, if, if it were live, I've often wondered that question. You know, we live in a town that has been known f- for its jazz history. Some of the greats have come from Kansas City. Uh, but... Who goes to see jazz very often? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think it gets its due. I, maybe people don't understand what jazz is all about. I, I think that you got a little bit of something there. Um, yeah. I'm curious if you can name the five most famous jazz artists that you can think of off the top of your head. Okay. Nicknamed the first two artists basically right away. Kansas City native Charlie Parker and the king of jazz Louis Armstrong. He went a little deeper into his bag and surprised me with Bradford Marsalis, even though he didn't mention Bradford's arguably more famous brother, Winton. Then he mentioned the household name Miles Davis before going local again with Ida Macbeth. After that, I played him a fairly well-known jazz song, and then we went into the resolution of our conversation. So just by listening to that, mm-hmm. did you have any idea who the artist was? Uh, was it Bobby Watson? It was not Bobby Watson. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. So wh- what I noticed in there, I heard horns, I heard keys, and I heard percussion. Um, and it seemed like everybody was kind of doing their own thing. Jazz is very interesting arrangements because there's no like real big hook that you would find in like a, a classic car song or something like that, right? Right. So uh, if I'm going to throw a dart, uh, how about Wynton Marsalis? No, okay. unfortunately. <laughs> that was... That was- that was a decent guess, though. Okay. It was McCoy Tyner. And do you know who McCoy Tyner is? No. All right. So McCoy Tyner is this fantastic piano player, one of the most respected piano players that ever played in the world. And the reason why I kind of wanted to bring this up is because this guy is actually like a household name for people who listen to jazz. But not everybody listens to jazz. We know that. You kind of explain. Mm-hmm. You know, you see it live, but you don't necessarily listen. Right. But how hard is it? Or how hard do you think it is now for modern musicians to get household recognition playing jazz than it was back in the day? And so, and that's one of the things is like with this episode specifically, we're going to be talking about a local artist named Blair Bryant, who I'm familiar with him. Who, you, yeah, I knew yeah. you'd be familiar with. And obviously, he doesn't play the same style that Jazz McCoy Tyner. Mm-hmm. But what do you think of Blair's music? Uh, I think uh, Blair's music is emerging. I could see Blair Bryant, you know, becoming someone who people could catch on to in Kansas City. For thousands of jazz musicians in the U.S., the struggle to find a fan base has been pretty tough since the end of the jazz era, and it's only becoming worse as other forms of music dominate the airwaves. For some, it's basically ended their careers, but jazz music is still alive. It's still well in the hearts of many musicians here in Kansas City and around the world. Today's conversation is with one of those artists specifically from Kansas City named Blair Bryant. And Fox 4 web producer Travis Meyer has that conversation right after this. From Tribune Audio Network, this is the Crazeology Podcast. Welcome to Crazeology. I am Travis Meyer. I'm filling in for Kendall Swank here. And we have Blair Bryant in the studio. Fantastic jazz bass player, jazz musician. He plays all sorts of instruments. Blair, you're 25, and uh, I'll just get this out of the way in the beginning. You claim that you can play, what, 14 different instruments? Maybe that number's gone up? It's gone up, but (laughs) I mean, 14 that I 
freaking name off the top of my head. Please do it. Name it. I'm oh, here. <laughs> I know I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay, so um, double bass, um, violin, cello, um, viola, um, electric bass guitar, piano, um, organ synthesizer, drums, timpani, um, vibes, um, marimba, um, xylophone, uh, <laughs> guitar, acoustic guitar. <laughs> Oh, God, what else, man? Yeah, you know what? Everything I, that, percussion, bongos, congos. That, the list can what, go the on. The list goes on. There we go. There we go. I'm I'm a little, I mean, I guess not so surprised because bass is a string instrument, but you're talking yeah. violin and cello and all that. How did you get into those instruments? I mean, you don't normally hear those in jazz. No, you don't. Well, well when I was in fourth grade, at my school at the time, they allowed you to be in strings. So the string teacher came in and she had violins and violas and stuff. So I decided to get in strings. Well, long story short, I sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I was the worst violin player ever. So um, fifth grade rolls around and band comes up. So I, I decided to get in the band because I thought I was better at it. And um, so I got into the band and I was a percussionist. So I was playing percussion, and and uh, long story short, my uncle was a bass guitar player at the time, and he played at the church, at the church I played at. And I wanted to play guitar, and my dad actually bought me a bass. And so my uncle actually got sick and ended up dying. So the day that he died, I said, you know, I'm going to play bass guitar for him. So I picked up the bass, and then stuff just started making sense. So when I figured out I could do bass, you know, it, I just started grasping it really quick. So I went back to strings, and I was like, man, well, if I could do this, I could play violin. So I started trying to play the violin and started trying to play the viola, and it, and it made sense. Renewed energy. Yeah, renewed energy. There we go. Yeah, yeah. so the your first musical experiences or or rather playing a musical instrument did that come in fourth grade when you first picked up the violin or or were you playing things even before that i was actually playing things before that uh, my mom said which i don't know how true this is but i, I think it's true because i don't think my mom would lie but <laughs> she said um when i was one year and a half i was a bad kid so i would always run around the church and I was just out of control. So the drummer was like, well, I can watch him. So the drummer sat me on his lap, and he noticed that I was really, really interested in the drums. And so he gave me a drumstick, and I started hitting it, and it was on beat. He was like, this kid's got rhythm. Wait a minute. <laughs> At one and a half years At old. At one and a half. He was like, this kid's got rhythm. And then I started taking pots and pans and started setting them aside and Started learning, and then finally my mom brought me a drum set at um, two, and she said by age two I was I was playing drums. So was your church, uh, other than you know introducing you to percussion, was that a, a, a big influence as far as music goes? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, church was a big influence on my music. Well, we'll uh, talk a little bit about how different musical influences and genres uh, can play into your music a little later. Um, but I want to uh, first talk about all of the instruments that you do play, the familiarity you have with those instruments. How does that factor into composing your charts? I know that you have said that you can play every instrument that's on your charts, but how, how does that factor in uh, when you're writing a new piece? The great thing about it is I hear everything in my head. So I kind of hear the instruments and stuff that I feel like should be on the track. And the good thing is that I'm able to replicate what I hear in my head and put it down on the instruments. So that's definitely a factor with the um, bass and the violin stuff. I might hear a cool string part or a really cool drum part, and, and I just build on top of it layer and layer. 
Yeah, you do have a lot of really interesting instrumentations and things, which I really appreciate. One uh, piece that comes to mind, and it's, it's I think, probably built off of a bass line. You can correct me if I'm wrong, though, is my gift from your oh, gold man, album. Oh, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got such a, like a rich, funky bass line. And then everything kind of like, when I first heard that, I was like, okay, you know, he had this idea, and then he expanded from there. Can you tell me a little bit more? more about that piece absolutely so my gift was um really kind of experiment honestly um i came up with the bass line and i wanted something that was really kind of funky but really jazzy at the same time but i also wanted something that was really smooth too so when i came up with the bass line thought i cre- created something really cool and so i got on the keys and started putting the chords down and I was like, you know, I really got something here. So I really started um, working to try and develop that song, and I decided, you know, I want to make this a um, a piano to feature my piano playing a little bit more. So we put the piano on there and um, in my bass playing, and I know you heard the organ solo in there. <laughs> Wanted to bring some of that church back into it. Oof, there we to, go. Yes, to kind of show where I came from. So that song was kind of really a spearmint in a way, but it actually ended up being a good experiment. Yeah. What's the yeah. what's the title of that piece mean? Um really what it is is it's my gift to the world because I got so much music that um I want people to hear. So I felt like with this song I was giving you guys something that's from my heart. Cool, cool. Let's take a second now and uh, listen to My Gift by Blair Bryant. Thank you. 
episode of the crazeology podcast make sure to click subscribe to keep up with new episodes you can find a list of them at fox4kc.com including a video only episode featuring the band ozomalti now let's get back to the conversation between travis meyer and blair bryant we mentioned you know you're 25 relatively young if you look at some of the folks who are playing in the jazz clubs you know i was just at green lady lounge the other day and, oh nice you know it, great space and great Absolutely. music but uh the age of the guys there were i'd say probably pushing 60 um yep. so tell me a little bit about your experience so far in this industry you know and uh and what it's like being relatively young in a field that's not so young and and (laughs) playing music for people who are generally not so young it's been good and it's also been bad as well because you got older people that don't want to give up their gigs and stuff because the music industry as of right now pay-wise, especially for jazz, jazz is not really a popular music style. So because of that, it's not it's not that much money and it's not that many clubs to play at. And the older people that's had gigs for years, they ain't trying to give up their gigs for us to come in. But some of them, which I thank God for some of them, some of them realize that, you know, in order to keep jazz alive, that's what you got to do. You got to expose younger people and you got to get them interested in playing this type of music because this this is America's music. I mean, America created jazz. So it's important to keep that alive. And the only way we're going to do that is if we expose younger people to it. The problem is because I'm such a young act and I'm new, some guys don't want to take a chance on me because I'm so new and I haven't been in the game a long time like some of these other artists, because they know if so-and-so's coming, they're going to sell out the show, or they're going to sell many tickets. They don't know how many tickets they're going to sell if they bring me to the show. Really, my plan is when I get to a um, certain age and I'm really old, like some of these other guys are, what you need to do is you need to find younger musicians and you need to mentor them and build them up and get them ready for the next generation. And if you can help a younger person get on a festival and put them on, you should put them on Awesome. if they deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about, though, you haven't been in the game for very long, which may be relatively sure, but you've already produced three albums, four if you count the Christmas (laughs) one. Yeah, right. (laughs) And you have uh, a few radio singles as well out there. You've been featured on KCUR, on Reverb Nation. You know, you've been you've been hitting it. You've been hitting the ground. That yeah. first album, uh, was that when you were 21 you produced that? Yeah, I was 21. And that was really a spearmint album. I didn't know if people was gonna like that. I just it was just kind of one of things where it was like, oh man, maybe I I got a lot of songs. Maybe I should put them out and see what people thought and got a lot of positive feedback. So I was like, okay, let's put out another album. One thing that fascinates me is how people kind of get into the game and and have that drive to even put out that first thing. What was your mind doing, saying to you when you put that out? What prompted you to create all of your original songs and then say, you know what, I need to share this? Ever since I've been really little, um, I've always had songs in my head. And... I never could put them out because I didn't have the ability to play the instruments that I needed to. When I learned piano, and or if not learned, was efficient enough to kind of put out ideas, I started doing so. But that didn't happen until my dad 
actually blessed me and brought me a uh, a recording system when I was um, 15. That was the best gift my dad could have ever got me. He got me an audio interface and a computer. I figured out, man, I could actually record stuff. <laughs> I was down there the first day trying to record stuff, and and I was just amazed that man, I can play bass line and then I can put a keyboard track on. I could really do some stuff. So it was a grind, man. I just started every day. I would come down and just try and write new songs. And of course they weren't great because I was, you know, just trying to get out ideas that I had in my head over the years. And finally, when I got more efficient enough with the instruments, I started to fine tune my sound. And I didn't even have a sound then. I, I kind of stumbled upon my sound by um, the instrument instrumentation I like to use. And so, man, about when I was about 16, I want to say that's when things really started coming together when my dad brought me that recording system. Uh, let's uh, kick it back to your first album. This is Busy B from New Color.
Color was your first album, and kind of all of your albums um, that's not the Christmas album uh, <laughs> are based around concepts with color. Uh, tell me a little bit about that thought process. Absolutely. So the reason why which uh, all my albums are based on that is because I actually have synesthesia, and that's where you see music in colors, which is... Yeah. No way. <laughs> yeah. I don't really talk to it to a lot of people because it kind of freaks them out. And no, that's like, super cool. <laughs> yeah. Some people be like, what? What is that? <laughs> so, yeah, I see music in colors. So um, every key, every note is a different color for me. So... Basically, um, all my albums is the colors that I see in my head when I'm um, doing this music. Wow. So gold, all those music evokes gold colors. Yeah, gold colors. And and gold actually, too, was a tribute album to um, God because I love the Lord. And um, and having the streets are paved with gold and um, angels. And all that good stuff. And gold is actually a warm color, too. And a lot of my music on gold was very warm and lush. Do you feel like synesthesia has helped you as a musician? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and the crazy part about it is I have perfect pitch as well. So <laughs> That's nice. it's a lot of things going on in my head. So because um, a C is like um, the key of C is white for me. So. I see white. I know it's C yeah. already. I mean, I can hear it, and I know what it is, but if I didn't have perfect pitch, I could kind of still figure it out because I'm like, C is white. So, For those uh, listening who might not know what perfect pitch is, it's when you can hear a pitch and know exactly uh, what note that corresponds to. So you hear an F sharp, and you know it's an F sharp. So yep. your synesthesia kind of co-mingles with your perfect pitch and, sure and you're saying oh it's this color yeah. well then it must be this note yep <laughs> wow that's fascinating it's crazy yeah i bet, <laughs> I bet that made uh, your peers jealous at umkc a little well, bit <laughs> yeah you, you know it's so funny man because we would play these ear training games yeah and uh, I, I was disqualified i couldn't play because it wasn't fair. Because <laughs> it was like, Blair already knows what note it is, so oh, he, can't, no. he can't play. <laughs> Disqualified. They hated me, man. It was, I was like, dang, I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's too funny. Uh, well, I, I also noticed that kind of there seems to be an evolution of um, sound throughout your albums. New Color is is mostly just you and the tracks that you've built around it. And then Gold starts to kind of introduce other sounds. And then uh, Cerulean Blue really taps into collaboration yep. and uh, more orchestration around your pieces. Talk to me a little bit about that process. Absolutely. So that process, really, honestly, it was just me growing as a musician and growing as a writer. On a new colors, I was just kind of experimenting with some stuff. I didn't really know what my sound was. And then when I started doing gold, and gold was actually songs that I've written over the years. It wasn't like I've written all these songs in one year. So Cerulean Blue is kind of where I'm at right now with my music. So with Cerulean Blue, you're kind of hearing songs that I've written like very recently versus go which i might have wrote that song five years ago and yeah a lot of it was just me growing as a writer and growing as a musician and growing as a person we'll listen to some of your uh, songs from cerulean blue a little bit later because there are a couple of them that i really <laughs> want our audience to, to dig into a little bit but i want to quick go to you and and your sound, which you kind of talked about, and especially um, your bass playing. Now, you know all these instruments, but you've gravitated to bass, and you use your bass as a melodic line in your music, which is another thing yeah. that people don't really <laughs> They don't really do that. Right, yeah, because yeah, it's mainly thought of as a, as a rhythmic instrument. Exactly. And so you play a six-string bass, which the range is incredible on that. I mean, honestly, like half the time kind of sounds almost like a guitar. Yeah, that's, you, that's very if true. If you're not like really listening for the right timbre of, yeah. of that kind of deeper bass sound. 
what made you want to stick with the bass to use the that instrument for the melodic lines here? Really what made me stick with the bass, I'm a big Stanley Clark fan, and uh, my dad, when I was real little, he would always play guys like Stanley Clark and uh, Marcus Miller. So I was listening to songs that had bass as a melodic instrument versus just, you know, stuff that where the bass was just in the background. So I got exposure to Stanley Clark, Wayman Tisdale, um, uh, Jocko even, um, and they was playing bass like that. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know I was going to be a bass player. It, it's kind of funny how things work out. I, th- I thought I was going to be a drummer. Mm. So, you know, when I learned how to play bass, I've always been a jazz fan because my dad was a jazz fan, and he would always play jazz music. He's the whole reason why, honestly, I'm probably doing his music today because my dad played all this jazz for me to listen to. And I knew I wanted to do jazz when I was real young, too. And that that's key, too. When I was like five or six, I can remember saying to myself, man, if I ever learn how to play all these instruments, I'm going to do this. And that's what I did. That's what you did. That's what I did. Uh, in addition to having just the bass as a melodic line, you often double it with other instruments, kind of uh, in in the tradition of of bebop, which moved into smooth and hard jazz, where yeah. you would have these virtuosic players do these unison melodies as you know, as the melodies of the pieces. How much have those styles, those genres of jazz, influenced your writing today? Oh, very much so. Um, very much. With regular jazz, it taught me the foundation. So I know where, you know, the music came from. And um, and I was taught, you know, what to play, what Charlie Parker played and and what uh, Sonny Rollins played and all them guys. So listening to this jazz, it really influenced my playing because most of the lines and most of the improv lines today was what they used back then. So what I'm... Honestly, what I'm really doing is just playing what they play and then just playing it on top of the music that I'm doing today, which is this kind of the smoother jazz. That's all we're doing. Yeah, which is which is very consistent with the jazz world. I mean, when bebop came out, they were just doing different melodies over chord changes that was being repurposed exactly. you know, down the line. So that's really interesting and cool to see that you're essentially doing the same thing from a modern perspective, looking back on these guys. Um, I want to get a little bit more into this, but first uh, I want to illustrate this kind of dual melody that I'm talking about. And I think a great one to do that with is your uh, radio single version of Secret Agent, where you're doubling (laughs) with the piano here. Let's take a listen. Thank you. 
so we just heard Secret Agent. Is there any particular genre of jazz, any sect over the years that has influenced you most? Um, or is it kind of an amalgamation of everything at once? Honestly, I would say jazz fusion is really the genre that really influenced me. And what I, what I like about jazz fusion is jazz fusion is basically like rock and you, you know with the electric guitars and the synthesizers and chicory and herbie hancock was definitely a prime example of that and i would listen to them all the time and i'm just really inspired by that style of music and how it allowed them to be so free but also playing real jazz on top of it with just synthesizers and all the electric stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Did you uh, listen to any Spyrogyra growing up at all? Oh, man, absolutely. <laughs> they are it. amazing. I called it. My yeah. mom would get CDs after CDs of those guys. Oh, oh man, man, great choice. Yeah. Yeah, I would stuff. listen to them, foreplay, even uh, the go. weather report going back. Oh, so good. Oh, man. So good. Unbelievable. Coming off of this this uh, talk about different jazz genres, um, I was kind of you know looking you up a little bit the other day. One might call it Facebook stalking, and uh, and I came across something that you had recently posted about a jazz family tree, and you had said know your roots. And so I want to kind of just describe it uh, briefly here. It shows a tree, and at the very bottom of the roots, you have things like blues, gospel, ragtime. And then you kind of go up the trunk and yep. you have uh, New Orleans jazz, middle jazz, kind of the swing era. You go back up even farther and you get into bebop, uh, Charlie Parker, yep. um, you know, cool jazz, Miles Davis, hard bop, and then free jazz with John Coltrane. And then you're kind of branching out to the right with rock, soul, funk, even rap going even farther up to the top and where we're kind of at here, jazz fusion. Um, what does it mean uh, when you're playing your music, uh, thinking about all of these styles and, and how do you incorporate some of these influences? Playing my music and thinking about this, really, it, it means a lot because it just makes you realize how far we have come over the years and years and years that music has existed. I mean, shoot, we could even go back to the um, the classical days, the Baroque period, and you know, uh, the Romance era, and all that. All that has had a part in why uh, music is the way it is. And go back to Africa and the bongos and the, all the drums and stuff. And you know, when they brought the slaves over and stuff, that's where a lot of this music came from. That, that's really the history of it, where they brought the slaves over to Mississippi Delta area, you know, started playing drums and singing, and then started getting guitars and Americanized instruments, and we started learning how to play those instruments. And next thing you know, we, we coming up with different styles of music, came up with blues, and then blues turns into jazz, and, you know, it turns to rock, and and then you got New Orleans era and learn how to play horns and stuff. And so it it's really amazing how far we've come. And all that really inspires me when I do my music because I just realize how blessed I am to do this. Getting into your most recent album, Cerulean Blue, uh, talking about stuff that just feels good. Um, you've got a lot of charts on that album that... Uh, you've collaborated with. Um, and I know that you have talked before about how the saxophonist Najee um, yeah. really kind of influences you and and um, kind of inspires you. And I listened to one of the, those tracks, Fukushima Tears. <laughs> uh, can you talk a little bit about that track? Yeah, so uh, Fukushima, as you know, is um, a power plant. And it's actually a place in 2010, they had that um, tsunami that came in and it shut the plant down and uh, destroyed the plant. And uh, the problem was radiation poisoning. And they started put, it was leaking radiation poison in the water and it was killing the fish. 
So when I named that song that, I was thinking about all the fish and all the people that lost their lives there because of that disaster. And my guy Najee, when I wrote the song, I actually was writing this song with the mindset of hopefully getting Najee to play on it, which is amazing I was able to do that. <laughs> and uh, Najee loves Japan. And, really? Yeah, he's been in Japan a lot. Huh. And... Um, He's got a couple songs, like one of his famous songs is called Tokyo Blue. And then he's got uh, another song called uh, Me Yuki. So with this song, I just wanted to um, make a song for him. It's kind of tribute to him with his Japan roots and uh, and just feeling sorry for the people at uh, Fukushima mm-hmm. and what happened. I'm sure there are all sorts of different stories, but how do you how do you meet some of the people that you collab with, and and how do you know when you meet this person or when you hear their stuff? I want to work with them. Yeah, absolutely. So most of it is really just who do you like uh, stylistic wise, who sound you think could work best for what you do, and Najee is. Uh, amazing. I mean, he's just a heck of a musician. Flute player, saxophone, you name it. And when I was really young, when I would listen to Najee's music, I just had in my head one day, if I could just write a song and have Najee on it, that would be that'd be a blessing. And when I was little, I had songs written that Najee could play on, where I said, if I ever meet him, I would give him that song. And really, this happened through my one of my good label mates. Um, he knew Najee. Um, his name is um, Blake Aaron. He's really, really good friends with Najee. So when I was writing this song, I said, man, I wonder if Najee would play on this. So we reached out to Blake Aaron, and I asked him, you know, Blake, I got a song for Najee. Do you think he'll play on it and he said I can send it to him and and we'll see and so I sent him the song he sends it to Najee and Najee gets back with me real quick probably with all this probably happened within a day wow yeah and he's like hey man I love this song call me so he gave me his number and we called him and he was like yeah man I'll play on the song and he played on the song he loved the song and and uh we was keeping in contact he would just call every blue moon just to check up on me. And his bass player ends up getting a call to go play with Brian Culverson. So now suddenly he needs a bass player. And he was talking to me at the time. So it was kind of being at the right place at the right time. And he called me up and he was like, hey, man, uh, you know, our bass player is going to play with Brian Culverson now. Would you be interested in coming out on tour with me and playing a couple shows? So I said, yeah, of course. (laughs) So I did that, and um, the band and everybody was like, yeah, yeah, we need you. (laughs) We want you. So I ended up um, getting the bill to do that. So a lot of the guys that I've been meeting has either been through Blake Aaron or been through Najee or actually been on tour with Najee, and they're actually being on the same show ticket as Najee. So I get to meet him that way. Nice little yeah. intro there. It, it really yeah. is. And I think that was part of his plan all along, really, you know, take me on the road and expose me to um, his people. And Yeah. And that's kind of yeah. coming full circle, like you said, you know, some of the more legacy players mentoring, bringing up, and, and giving young guys a chance to keep the show alive. Absolutely. That's what you got to do, especially if you want to keep this genre alive because – if you don't do that, I mean, all the young people are into pop and hip-hop and all this stuff. It's not really a lot of young people into jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, looking forward into the future, more uh, more work with Najee maybe, or uh, even outside of collab, what's next? I'm actually starting to gear up for my fourth album. Oh, snap. Yeah. So um, <laughs> next year, I'm, I'm scheduled to come out. So I'm actually writing songs at this moment as we speak for my next album. Very cool. Yeah. Can we, uh, do you have a, do you have a color name for it yet? I don't yet. Oh, I'm, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a cover with, but you know what? I, I will tell you this. It's going to be red thing. 
Well, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye out for that in 2020. Yeah. I and got some titles for you. Red Alert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cold Red. Oh, yes. All of it. Champagne. Infrared. No, yeah, no infrared. champagne. There we go. Yep. Awesome. That's yep. fantastic. Well, uh, I, I want people to stick around definitely through the end because I want to play for them a, a different uh, collab um, that you've done. It's called Sun Chaser, um, and it's with uh, Darren, Ru- Darren Ran. Darren Run. Darren Run. Yep. Um, so that'll be at the very end. But for now, let's uh, let's get into Fukushima Tears uh, by Blair Bryant with Najee. <laughs>
That's it for this episode of the Crazeology Podcast. Today's show is hosted by, written, and edited by Travis Meyer and produced by Meyer and myself. Today's episode also had production assistance and editing from Jacob Orlowski. I want to thank Nick Vascos for making a special appearance on today's episode. You can hear more from him at the Signal Hill Podcast on fox4kc.com. Until next time, we'll send you out with more music from Blair Bryant. Thank <laughs> you.